Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today I am here with my friend, Jessica McKee, and she is a board certified lactation consultant, and also a registered nurse. So she's going to be talking to us today about breastfeeding and exercise and kind of all of the commonly asked questions and concerns that so many athlete moms have around nursing. So Jess, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into being a lactation consultant and nurse. Yeah. So I've been a nurse since 2013 and I work in the NICU in a high level surgical kind of NICU. Um, and I just got more interested in breastfeeding with helping the moms there with that. A lot of pumping obviously with that. Um, cause a lot of the babies aren't able to eat. Then I took a class I took a lactation class just for work, but I happened to be pregnant at the time, but I was kind of just viewing it through like a, a work lens, not really like a personal lens. So I like absorbed the information, but I was more thinking about it for work. Cause I think I, like most people were like, Oh yeah, it'll be fine. I don't really need to prepare ahead of time. Like it's right. fine. It'll be easy. It's natural. <laughs> oh my gosh. The biggest, um, the biggest lie that we're all told. Right. Um, so I did that. And then in the hospital, when I had my daughter who's six now, they're like, Oh, you're a nurse. Like, you know what to do. And I was like, no, no, I really don't know what to do. I can take care of very sick babies, but like my own healthy baby breastfeeding right. it, I don't really know <laughs> what to do. Right. Um, but we had a good breastfeeding experience. I breastfed her until she was like 14 or 15 months. I didn't have any huge hurdles, which was great. And then same with my son, 14 or 15 months with him too. And I just was getting more and more interested in it. And it's kind of, kind of one of those things that the more you start to learn about it, the more you realize that there's actually so much more to learn. Like once you start diving in, you realize all the stuff that you actually don't know and how complex it is. Um, So I just got more and more interested in it and started doing my classes um, to get my IBCLC, which is like the highest level certification that you can get in lactation and, um, took the boards for that last year. And then now I work with lactation link and I do in-person consults and virtual consults. Yeah. Which is so great. I love that there's a lot more access to care and even awareness of getting that kind of support. Because when I had Kate eight years ago, it was like, we had support in the hospital. And then it was like, well, if you want support beyond that, like you're kind of on your own. And it was like, having to learn instead of it being like a common referral or common person to find as a new mom, it was just a lot harder for going to classes felt really overwhelming for me. I was like, hell no, I do not want to go with my like cranky baby and like God getting out of the house. It was just so overwhelming. So I love that access to lactation consultants is becoming 
much more accessible. Yes. It's a much more known about thing now. And those first couple of days when you're in the hospital, yes, you need help trying to figure out how to latch the baby, but that's not usually where the biggest problems happen. It usually happens in the first few weeks after when you're just home alone, like drowning, like, I don't know what to do. So I love being able to go to people's houses or meet with them virtually. Um, cause you can actually help with a lot over the video more than you would think. And just being able to meet them in their own space. And it's just, I always feel like very honored that they let me into their house and into their personal space and taking their clothes off in front of me Yeah, and being like, they're in such a very vulnerable time. And I just really enjoy being able to support people in that way. Oh, absolutely. And if you're listening to this and you maybe haven't had babies yet, it just, I guess for me, I was struggling so much that I was desperate for someone to just like grab my boob and tell me what to do with it. Cause I was like, I don't know. It is not working. He is just crying at my boobs. And like, that is a freaking demoralizing feeling when you're trying to get them to latch and it's just not working. Like, oh my God, it was so stressful in the beginning there. It really is. I really realized that a lot of this kind of like my um, hospital job in the NICU as well. It's a lot of like, I don't want to say like psych nursing. It's not like a psych (laughs) hospital or anything, but I play much more of like a therapist role than I anticipated I would be playing. It's like, sometimes I'm the first person that they've seen besides their partner or their mom and like maybe someone else. And I walk in and sometimes they just and unload everything (laughs) and start telling me about, Oh my gosh, this has been happening and this has been happening. And like, there's a lot of tears a lot of times. And um, yeah, it's just a really stressful time and breastfeeding. Yes. It's, natural in the fact that like our bodies can do it, but really it's a very learned behavior and you kind of have to watch if you don't grow up watching people do it, like a lot of other cultures do, you kind of don't know what to do. So you really need somebody to show you what to do. It's not, it's not just a natural, some things about it are instinctive, but a lot of things aren't. It's very learned. Yes. And I, I love that you just said learned behavior. Cause I think that gives so much grace for that learning curve that every mom experiences because one nursing relationship may be totally different than your next child or your fifth child. So it's still a learned behavior between the mom and this new baby. Yes. I really I like, feel like same boobs, different baby. Yes. <laughs> or maybe like slightly different boobs as each baby goes on. Yeah, like <laughs> Uh, No, it's so, so good. So let's dive into some of the nerdy stuff first. What are some of the physiological benefits of nursing? Yeah. So nursing, the biggest thing is that it has all of these immune factors for the baby. And even if your baby gets like a teaspoon of breast milk a day and you, you want to provide that for them, that can be so beneficial. For babies, yes, it's natural for them to do it too. If you leave a baby there after birth, they'll kind of find their way to mm-hmm. the breast. Um, but they have to learn some things too. Um, but that's kind of their natural instinct is to suck and to latch and do all of those things. Um, and besides the the health benefits of it with all of the immune factors, if you can always do it for comfort, even people with a low milk supply, that's a great way to just bond with your baby and let them nurse at the breast. There's different ways of comforting. It doesn't have to be that they're just hungry. Like, Oh, you, I just fed you. So you have to wait three hours. Like if they want to do it, that can be a great use for it too. Right. Absolutely. So I know there's a lot of nutritional factors and you talked about the immune component of that. What are some of the nutritional factors that are really great for the babies? 
Breast milk at different times has different components. Mm -hmm. So breast milk for a preemie is different than breast milk for a term baby and your milk changes. Your body kind of knows how old your baby is. So even if you're exclusively pumping, your milk still adjusts based on how long you've been pumping for and kind of knows, oh, your baby's this age and this is the stuff that I'm going to make for it. So all the different fat compositions and protein and all of those things change over time to adjust to what your baby needs. Something that people stress out a lot about is fore milk and hind milk. It's two different kinds of milk is what people think it is. And oh, if my milk is more watery, that's not as good for the baby. That's the fore milk. And I want them to get the hind milk, the really fat, fatty milk. All of it is beneficial and great. The milk that comes out at the beginning when the baby is nursing or when you're pumping is more watery and the milk towards the back is more fatty, but right. people are very wrapped up in thinking, oh, I have to nurse for this many minutes to get the fatty milk. Like it's all high fat milk. <laughs> so the average calories per ounce of milk is 20 calories per ounce, 20 to 22, but it changes throughout the day. So sometimes your milk might be 28 calories an ounce, and sometimes it might be 18 calories an ounce, but in general, it's 20 to 22. So four milk, high milk, isn't really a thing because it's all just an average over time. So that's something that people stress about that. I try to help them. To yeah. Not well, God, because when you are in like the mom, I would like join like some breastfeeding support groups and that just like, oh my God, that fueled the anxiety. So if you find yourself joining mommy (laughs) breastfeeding Facebook groups, maybe like don't, I don't know. Like I'm sure there's some really helpful ones, but holy moly, you got to like, know. you got to (laughs) know. Just feed the baby. (laughs) You don't need to stress. There is not a time in the feed that it changes from the more watery to the more fat or anything like that. It's all beneficial and it's all still high fat milk and you don't need to feed for this many minutes on this side. And then this many minutes on this side, like it doesn't need to be, sometimes we overcomplicate it more than it needs. And how do we know how long I'm going to talk to you? Like I'm a brand new mom. Cause these really are like some real life questions. That yes, I remember. Do. How do you know then when to switch sides and how long to nurse on one side and how long to nurse on another? I, because if your baby's not the baby that like naturally kind of breaks off, like Cade would just, both of my boys would freaking just eat forever if they want to, or just keep sucking forever. Um, So it was like so hard to know again, that like learned behavior of your baby and your body. Totally. And then you'll get advice. Like sometimes a well-meaning doctor will say like feed for 20 minutes on each side. And I'm like, I've seen babies feed for 45 minutes that only drink half an ounce and babies that feed for 10 minutes and drink four ounces. It's all about how efficient their suck is and what your supply is like, of course. So what I say is you should always offer both sides and the baby will let you know if they want the other side. So the first side is kind of like the dinner and then the other side is the dessert. It's kind of like us. We don't always eat the same exact thing at the same exact time of day and the same exact amount. Sometimes we want just a salad and sometimes we want an appetizer, a dinner and a dessert. And we're really hungry. Right. So if newborns are very, very sleepy. So, and they're very, very responsive to the flow. So sometimes you kind of need to remind them to keep swallowing when we're wanting them to get back up to their birth weight and doing breast compressions, like gently squeezing your breasts, holding down for a couple of seconds and helping increase that flow to the baby can get them to take more swallows. And then when those breast compressions stop eliciting more swallows is when I say, go ahead and break the suction. So you can kind of put your finger in their mouth and break the suction. So you're not yanking them off your nipple. Um, and then, <laughs> I know, <laughs> and 
and offer the other side. And if the baby wants to take the other side, then they will. If they are look, looking like very relaxed and there's milk dribbling out of their mouth and their hands are like all floppy and they have that kind of milk drunk look um, and they won't take the other side, then you can be confident that they got enough if you heard and saw some active swallowing. If the baby falls asleep there right away without a period of active swallowing, that's when we're concerned. Oh, are they just kind of sucking, but not really swallowing? And that's when we kind of need to follow up and make sure that their suck is efficient. Oh man. Okay. And so gosh, I have, I'm like writing down notes because like more questions keep coming to my head because I literally feel like my, my boobies are having like some flashbacks here of like, Oh yes, I remember. Um, And it's been quite a while. So what can we do if we're wanting to increase supply then? Like maybe we're a new mom struggling, trying to nurse, trying to offer both sides, doing that. Like, honestly, in the beginning, it's like every couple hours, like you are nursing pretty constantly. So I'll speak from my perspective of I made myself crazy trying to nurse and then pump. And then only to be given the baby back like a little bit later because it was already time for him to eat again. And I feel like that really caused so much like emotional stress and trauma to my my brain and my boobs. How can we like have a more sane approach to that? (laughs) 100%. That whole process of nursing the baby and then the baby maybe needing a bottle of pumped milk or formula and then you pumping is called triple feeding. And it's extremely exhausting and it is not a long-term sustainable solution for low milk supply or for transfer issues in the baby. So when I do triple feeding with my clients, I'd be sure to tell them that upfront, that this is a very short-term thing. And if it's mm-hmm. been like a week or so, and we're not seeing an increase in your supply or um, changes in the baby's ability to transfer milk well at the breast, then we need to make a new plan because that, like you said, is not you cannot keep up with that. It is way too exhausting. So I don't even know about like the triple side of it. Like I would just like nurse Cade and then I would try to like pump more to almost like increase my supply. Like, so once I finished nursing him and then it would just like destroy my nipples and like nothing would come out. And it was just so defeating. Cause I felt like all I did was sit there and yeah. try to like manipulate my boobs into doing something that they weren't doing. percent. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so many things that we could talk about. So a lot of people do that because they think their supply is low. So people will ask all the time, Oh, my milk supply dropped, or I think my supply is low. And that's why it's really important to work with a lactation consultant because they can help you evaluate is it really low or do you just not know the signs to look for in your baby that they're doing fine and getting enough? Like, wouldn't it be great if our boobs had like a marker on them that you could see like a bottle, how much they got? Unfortunately, you have to go based on the signs of the baby. So like their hand will often start in a fist and then it will get more relaxed as the feed goes on. And that shows you that they're getting full. Their brows will be furrowed and then they'll relax. They'll be making plenty of wet diapers. They'll be feeding at least eight to 12 times in a 24 hour period. Their weight gain will be good. All of those things. So sometimes we have a false a false sense that we have a low supply when really we don't. And some of it is because of social media and we see people pumping these bottles that are filled to the brim. If you pump after nursing, I would expect you to only get like half an ounce or an ounce combined from both breasts, because if your body's adjusted to what your baby wanted, you're not going to have this huge bottle full. Right. so that's why pictures can be deceiving or people that are posting pictures of their huge, huge freezer stash of like thousands of ounces stored. 
Like most people don't have that and you don't need that either. And you don't know the story behind that. So like, is that person actually pumping for twins? Is that person pumping extra because they're donating their milk? Like the social media comparison trap is, is a struggle. Yeah. Um, So the first thing when you think your supply is low is to work with somebody that can actually evaluate it with you and go over your full health history. Oh, do you have these factors that could be contributing to you having a low supply? Is it a secondary low supply? So did your body, was your baby not nursing efficiently or were you using your pump wrong or wrong flange size or something? And that caused you to have a low supply. So it's very, it's a huge, big picture that you have to look at all of the factors, not just, I'm going to pump more to make more because I think it's low. And then if it is low, then there are things that you can do, which does include pumping extra, but again, not like all day, every day, because that's not sustainable. Right. Go figure. Right. Like, it's like, we know these things, but then somehow it like changes depending on the topic in motherhood. So you mentioned like some pumping and whatnot. Can we talk about some tools and props that are common in nursing, I guess, uh, for an example, I had no idea what a nipple shield was. And I wish I would have known what that was early on. Cause I feel like I suffered with like messed up nipples for so long And that was like a really good bridge for me was like use the nipple shield and then like, okay, better latch has been established. She got a little bit older and then I would just, I could nurse, but I had no idea what that was early on. Nipple shield can be a great tool for some people. Sometimes somebody will just throw one at you and be like, here's a nipple shield and not really let you know there's different sizes. There's different, there's different indications for using it. They can be really helpful for preemies that can help them latch better. They could be helpful if your nipples are damaged, although that's not my first choice. They can be helpful if your baby's mostly bottle feeding and you're transitioning them to breastfeeding because sometimes they're used to that more like plastic. But yeah, it's definitely something that can be used. And it's one of those kind of like divisive topics sometimes. Right. You shouldn't community. Some people are like, you should never use a nipple shield. And then other people are handing them out like candy. Right. So I think they could be very helpful in certain instances. If you're working with somebody that shows you, oh, here's how you put it on. Here's how you wean right. off of it. Here's what it's indicated for. Not just like a bandaid to the problem. Yeah. Imagine that like a messy middle of like not extremes in anything. Again, <laughs> That'd be so shocking. Nursing pillows. A lot of people use like the boppy or the, Mm -hmm. uh, be my breast friend, breast friend pillow. I forget what it's called. Um, those can be super helpful. You should always be using your arms to support the baby and the pillow should just be helping you. If you just plop them on the pillow, sometimes that pulls them farther away from the breast, right? The Haka silicone pump is a big common thing that people use right now, which can be again, super, super helpful. And then some people that struggle with oversupply are using it too often. And really they're just kind of pumping more and that's making them make too much milk. So there's definitely a lot of gadgets that you can get. And again, the best places in the middle and not extremes of like, you should never use this, or you should always use this, or you have to buy this. Like technically you don't have to buy anything. Right. Uh, what about, you mentioned like damaged nipples and that's not your first recommendation. So when somebody maybe does have like the chapped or just like bloody nipples, again, seriously, like hurting, hurting my boobs talking about this. I, I empathize so much if you're listening to this and you're like, currently my nipples are bleeding. Um, so what, what do you tell a mom who's like every latch is so freaking painful, whether it's because it's like, in the, it's already been chapped or whatever bleeding bleeding or it's like they're kind of creating that 
Oh, it's yeah. such a feeling. So first I want to get to the root cause of why it that's happening because mm-hmm. ideally for breastfeeding. And if you think about like, Oh, humans have been breastfeeding for however many years, if it was something that was supposed to make you bleed, like our species would never have survived because nobody would have been breastfeeding. Right. There's, there's no normal body response that we're supposed to be bleeding during, except for your period. <laughs> Other than that, like if your arm Which, is bleeding, awesome, great <laughs> genetic design there. <laughs> If your arm was bleeding, nobody would be like, it's fine. Just tough it out. Like it will get better. But for some reason with nipples, we tend to be like, oh, it's fine. You just have to get used to it. You don't. That means that your baby's latch for whatever reason is too shallow because ideally your nipples should be pulled all the way to the back of the mouth to the soft palate. If your nipple is getting pinched and chomped, that means that the baby is pinching it with their hard palate, which means the nipple is too far forward in their mouth, which is what causes the damage. So first I want to get to the root cause. Is it because there's some sort of restriction in the baby's mouth that's making them not latch as deeply? Or is it just a positioning thing that the mom didn't know? Oh, I need to turn the baby closer to me or I need to lean back gravity to help pull the baby onto me. And then for treatment, I recommend like a saline soak or rinse, like a shot glass works really well. You can kind of dip your needle forward just for like a minute or two and soak it in the saline. Um, like how the tables have turned. I'm like going from taking shots to just dipping your nipples in there. Like, man. <laughs> I'm alive now. Um, so I recommend that because it keeps the wound moist, um, and moist wound healing is better for, um, healing. It heals things faster and it keeps it clean. That's different than the kind of moisture than if you're leaking all the time into like soggy breast pads, that's a recipe for infection because that bacteria loves that like sugary, warm, dark, um, so if you're soaking through breast pads and you have nipple damage, it's really important to change them frequently as soon as they're getting wet. And then you can use like different creams or balms. People like different ones. I tend to like the ones that are like the natural nipple butters, as opposed to the lanolin, because some people Mm -hmm. kind of react to the lanolin. And then there's also these like silver cups, the silverettes that you can wear on your nipples because silver has natural antimicrobial properties. So they're like little silver hats <laughs> that you wear and you don't even need any creams with them. You can just put a couple of drops of breast milk in it and wear them. And then you can also use like a medical honey. If they're severely damaged, you can use um, this special medical honey and put it on your nipples. Too. Yeah. But the saline soak or rinse is the number one thing that I recommend. Oh, that's so good to know. I did, I did not know that. I And the shot glass is such a good tip. I feel like. I, I feel like that should be a little bit more popularized, but, um, that's your next reel. Okay. It's just, yeah, I, like, know, I, I need to make a post about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would, that would be a really good reel <laughs> to see that, to see that acted out. <laughs> I have turned <laughs> honestly though. Okay. So this might be a divisive topic. Can we talk about tongue ties? Sure. Okay. So how do we know if our baby has a tongue tie? Cause I feel like they're went from like zero awareness of that to like almost an over awareness and paranoia of that. Cade may have had one. I don't know, but I, there was never anything done about it. And then by the time I had chance four years later, I had so much more, I guess, like breastfeeding world awareness. And he was struggling a little bit. And then the pediatrician said like, he did have a tongue tie or maybe it was in the hospital, it was a lactation consultant. I can't remember. It was it's a kind of a blur. Anyway, he ended up having the procedure for it, and it seemed to make a difference. But I do know that there's a lot of nuance in that conversation. So I would love just to hear your perspective and to help guide parents into knowing 
you know, who to talk to, what to do, what to look for, stuff like that. For sure. So the first thing is that you cannot diagnose a tongue tie or a lip tie or any sort of restriction in the mouth by just a picture. So people will just look at it or a pediatrician or somebody in the hospital or somebody that's not trained in it might just look at the tongue, but you really need to have your fingers in the mouth and mm-hmm. assessing the range of motion of the tongue. You can't just have a little tongue tie or a slight tie. So Yes, the degree to which the movement is restricted could be more severe or less severe, but if it's restricted, then it's restricted. So you really need to get your fingers in the baby's mouth and lift up the tongue and kind of see if it can lift all the way up. And then you note things like blanching. If you're lifting the lips up and the gums kind of turn white because there's so much tension, then that might show you that the lip is restricted and it's not lifting up easily. Same thing with the tongue. There's different things that you look for when you lift it up. Ideally at rest, we should be breathing through our nose and our tongue should be resting on our hard palate. That's what gives our mouth like a nice wide, broad shape. So the thought is that as tongue ties have either increased or we've been more aware about them, of course, there are not a lot of studies on these things because it's very difficult to study, um, that we've all been breathing through our mouth and we're all kind of open mouth breathing and our faces are becoming more narrow and longer because our tongues aren't resting on the hard palate and shaping the hard palate. Cause when we're a baby, that bone is so moldable. So when the tongue rests up there, that's what makes it a nice shape. When it be, when the palate becomes more narrow, that's what makes your teeth more crowded. And that narrow palate can go up towards the nose cavity and you might have um, trouble breathing through your nose, all these different things that it can kind of snowball. Yeah. Um, I remember being so afraid, like, Oh gosh, if I don't like address this, then maybe he's going to have delayed speech or there's going to be this. And there was just almost like that pendulum swing of like zero awareness to almost yeah. too much awareness. And you make yourself kind of crazy. Exactly. Cause now everybody's like, does my baby have a tongue tie? Just right. because like read about it on Instagram. Right. Um, So there's different things that you look for when you lift the tongue up and then obviously go based on symptoms also. So I've seen some babies that have tongue ties and the mom is not having any pain and everything's going fine. I've seen other babies that have tongue ties and the mom is in severe pain. And the reason that that's happening is because the tongue in order to breastfeed effectively has to kind of stick out and go up and create a vacuum and kind of do this like rolling motion. When the tongue is restricted and it's tied to the floor of the mouth, it can't lift up and create that vacuum and it keeps popping off and popping down. And each time it pops down, your nipple kind of slides more and more out more towards the front of the mouth. And that's when it gets pinched and your nipple gets damaged. Hmm. And then of course, if they're not feeding effectively, then you can have trouble with the milk supply because the baby wasn't telling your body to make enough or the baby can have trouble with weight gain. And another thing I look for is if the baby has blisters on their lips, blisters on the lips can indicate that the lips are kind of trying to hold on for dear life because the tongue isn't quite doing its job to hold that vacuum. Right. So the thing about tongue, so if you have a baby that's super fussy, that can also be a thing because they're swallowing more air when they're feeding because that latch isn't good and strong and the tongue keeps slipping off. So if you have a fussy baby that has blisters and they seem super tense and your nipples are damaged and the weight gain is poor, all of those things would tell me, yes, I should get it evaluated. And you should always get it evaluated by a pediatric ENT or a pediatric dentist that has training in it. People say, oh, well, the other lactation consultant told me it was fine or the pediatrician said it was fine, but they didn't actually have their fingers in the mouth lifting up the tongue to test. Right. That was really reassuring for me knowing like, okay, this is the person. It's not just an opinion. This is like a full like medical exam 
to make exactly. sure that it's not just almost like a, a desperate, like, yes, help my baby nurse better kind of but, move. And it should always be like a team approach. So you should right. always be working with a lactation consultant because they can help you with the milk supply stuff. Mm-hmm. And they can also help you depending what kind of training they have and doing exercises with the baby's mouth or an occupational therapist can help with that too. Or sometimes a pediatric physical therapist can help with that um, because releasing the tongue just gives it more range of motion. It doesn't necessarily make it stronger. So you right. kind of have to exercise the mouth and to that degree of how bad is the tongue tie or is it mild or severe? Some babies have a very uncoordinated tongue and other babies, their tongue is moving just fine. And once they get it released and do a couple exercises, they're like good to go. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a wide spectrum. That's so interesting. So let's move into talking about calories and food that help support the nursing relationship. Are there certain foods that should be incorporated into a mom's diet that assists with that? And then how many extra calories are actually needed to help continue like a healthy breastfeeding relationship? Yeah. So there's not any special foods that you have to eat. And there also aren't any foods that you have to cut out either. (laughs) The main thing is that you're just getting a wide variety of nutrient dense foods and making sure that you're remembering to eat because (laughs) you're so busy feeding the baby and then you often forget to eat. So for a good healthy milk supply and for you to be getting all the nutrients that you need, it's recommended that you're getting at least 1800 calories a day. So that's when the trouble with like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. And I thought breastfeeding was going to help me lose weight, but actually like I'm gaining weight. That's when it gets kind of tricky. Breastfeeding burns an extra like three to 500 calories a day per baby. So if you're feeding twins, it's like an extra thousand calories a day. And that's also dependent on how much you're breastfeeding. So if you're exclusively breastfeeding, you'd probably be more at that, like 500. If you're breastfeeding like twice a day and doing formula the other times, then you're probably burning less. So there isn't anything special that you have to eat, but you should be making sure that you're getting enough. If you're getting enough, but then you're also exercising and you're becoming in such a deficit, then that will have an effect on it too. Um, but a lot of times people's milk supply might be fine and their body's just like, okay, I'm going to take all the energy you have and make the milk, but then you're very deficient in some things. Right. And then people, those calories really do affect their actual milk supply. Right. And like diet culture, which all of us are subjected to is kind of like, we can hear exactly what you say and go, sweet. I'm burning a lot of extra calories. That's going to help me lose weight. And then if I like, don't eat all of that, then, okay. So I need to eat 1800 calories a day, but then I'm also burning like maybe 500 calories a day. If I don't eat that much, then I'm going to learn, I'm going to lose more weight and I'm going to lose it faster. So for to support feeding a baby, and to support your healing body because your body is recovering postpartum. And now it's trying to act as an extra food source for another human. That's not just you, you must eat. And if eating in volume is really hard, then try to increase almost like the density of calories that you're having and not be afraid to eat more carbs and more fat, more protein so that you're giving yourself a balanced diet and you're fueling your baby. I think there's just we're so used to um, thinking that like less, 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 and we really have to think more, 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 and that'll feed your baby and help with a healthy weight loss for you. If that's your goal. Exactly. Yeah. It's easy to be like, I'm burning this much. So, and then it's easy to swing the other way and be like, well, I'm burning this much. So then I can eat like X, Y, Z. 
totally can. And it depends what your goals are. And everybody's body is different. And some people just like wither away and drop the weight. Like, so like I was somebody that was very thin when I was breastfeeding and I ate a lot. And then other people are like, I thought breastfeeding is supposed to help me lose weight. Why am I holding on to all this pregnancy weight? And that's also a very normal experience. They're both, they're both normal. So no breastfeeding doesn't help you lose weight for everybody. For some people it does. For some people it really doesn't. And your body holds on to every single calorie to make the milk for the baby and to make sure you're getting what you need. So yeah, I like to shift the mindset from how much am I burning to like, you need to be eating things to support your body. Like, yes, of course you want to feed the baby. And of course, like, yes, that is so important, but also you need to think about the calories that you're giving yourself. Right. That can be so stressful. And I know like my body, it was like the first six months postpartum was just like very, like, I just feel like I was just extra, um, the word that's coming to my mind is like thick. Like my boobs were just bigger. Like my belly was obviously softer. Everything was just so much softer and then nursing and then feeding him real food, all of that sort of started to, once I, once his eating habits changed, like my body composition started to change too. And, but that is so like relative to the mom and the experience. And I think we just have to give ourselves a lot of grace around your body feels and looks different right now because things are different right now. And it's not forever. I'm going to say, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Like, you just need to be patient with yourself and it's, it's a season. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a season of time and it's not going to be like that forever, but it's just really hard to get comfortable in that skin when that's not right. So, right. Everything's just bigger and softer. You're like, this is not what I'm used to, but also like it, it will change. It will evolve. And if it doesn't like, that's also like, there's grace to be found there as well, but the, I mean, everything does just evolve and whatnot with, with every baby too. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to supplementing, because this is something I am like a huge fan of because nursing is freaking wonderful. And also it can be a really stressful experience can struggles can a lot of times fuel postpartum depression and anxiety, or even like trauma around a really hard nursing experience or really like brutal pumping experience, or maybe some NICU moms, I'm sure you've seen just like struggle so much. How can breastfeeding not be such an all or nothing approach? And how does like supplementing with formula fit into that? So I always tell my clients, like, there's nothing that you have to do. I think a lot of lactation consultants are working very hard to break the stigma of like, we're like crunchy hippies and you can only give breast milk. And if you don't give breast milk, you're a horrible person. <laughs> like yeah. that is not what I think at all. And everybody's feeding journey is different and unique. And it can be different from baby to baby. And then obviously different from person to person. Right. So your breastfeeding journey doesn't need to look like your sister's breastfeeding journey or your friends. Everybody's is different and everybody's right. goals are different. So when people are feeling very stressed about it, I tell them that if your goal is to give the baby breast milk for as long as that's your goal, any amount of breast milk that you give them is beneficial. So if you want to do like a 50, 50 thing and you want to give like half breast milk and half formula, that's awesome. If you want to give them one formula feed and the rest breast milk, that's awesome. If you want to give one breast milk and the rest formula, that's great. It all depends what your goals are and you're kind of the boss of it. So yeah. usually I tell people like, you're the boss of it. There's nothing that you have to do. And if what's yeah, but like, 
people are mean bosses. Like I am a mean boss. I was like, I am not supplementing. Like breast milk is what is best. And it's like, I was the problem. It's everyone else around me was like giving permission. Oh, we just give them a bottle. But I felt like such a, a failure. Like I can't have another thing that like, you know, I feel like I'm failing at or whatever. Like we are such mean bosses sometimes, especially like, you know, I talk about athlete brain all the time and that, that really like transfers into so much of our motherhood approach, especially nursing, I feel. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I don't love the, uh, fed is best thing because if you're saying, Oh, just feed the baby. It doesn't matter what they get, but that wasn't your original goal. Well, that's not feeling best for you. Like, of course we want the baby to be fed. That's like the lowest, like, of course, obviously, but we also have to take into account moms and their goals. So if your goal is to be giving a hundred percent breast milk and you're not able to do that and you feel sad about it, that's totally okay to feel sad about that. You don't need to feel guilty because, oh, I couldn't do it. Like it's okay to feel those feelings and feel guilty if that was your goal, because of course you want the baby to be fed and it's not about that, but it's kind of about your feelings as well. So that's why you really have to look at the mom as a whole picture and a whole person. And if you're feeling upset because your experience isn't going how you originally wanted it to go, then that's okay. And hopefully you have support systems in place to help you work through that and to help you a feeding plan that's sustainable for you. And that feels good for you that hopefully you can adjust to over time. If it's not going the way that you wanted it to go. Right. And I mean, if you're a new mom listening to this, like in some ways, I just, I want to give you a lot of grace because I feel like breastfeeding or maybe a delivery, or if you're managing symptoms, that's all like such a harsh preview of of a lot of different motherhood experiences that we're going to have where it's like, well, shit, I thought that this was going to be one way, but you know, expectation versus reality, right? Like that is all of motherhood is like, we have our desires we have our expectations. We have our comparisons and then we have the baby and the experience right in front of us. And we just have to be adaptable. And as coaches and athletes, like we know that we know that like being adaptable is a superpower we know that being like having like a lot more fluidity to our belief systems and approaches is going to be yield the better result, but it's easy to get blinded by the struggles of motherhood because now there's this extra pressure of doing the right thing for your baby, but best and right are so, so, so relative to the mom and the baby's individual and unique experience. They really are. And what's working for you one day might not work the next day. Right. That's okay. And I like to tell people that like breastfeeding can be flexible. So you're not, once you're deciding to do one thing, you're not locked into that thing. Yes. And, and should be fluid about it because things change over time and things change with the baby and things change in your life. And you might go back to work and that might change your goals and all of these different things. And your support system might change. Somebody might move away. That was a big support for you. All of those things. So it's really like a whole picture. And when we get too like strict about it and too locked into one box, then that's when we struggle more. Oh yes. All my fellow athlete brains are like, (laughs) uh, yeah, me. Um, It's just really hard though. So I know that I didn't want to go through what I went through with, I like exclusively nursed Cade, which I was like all proud about and stuff, but I also suffered through the process. And I knew in 
look as like I got further into my postpartum, like there's got to be a better way. And that way starts with, with me and like what I am allowing, not just the baby, but like it was my own belief systems and approach and identity that like made it harder than it maybe needed to be. So when I had chance, I just remember telling my husband, like, I will not torture myself like that. Like I need to have freedom. I need to have, like, I don't want to be attached to a baby or a pump all the time. Like I was with Cade. And I want to know that, you know, if he's crying a lot and maybe I'm, if I'm not producing as much as he needs, then I want to be willing to give him a bottle. So having that conversation ahead of time so that I could be held accountable for my own, um, almost like rigid belief systems in motherhood was really helpful for me when we decided to have um, another baby. So I told Jared, you know, like if we're going to supplement, then let's do it in the middle of the night so that I can keep sleeping and prioritizing sleep. And we're just sort of giving him a couple ounces, but it's enough to soothe him, to feed him. I get some sleep. You're involved because the rest of the day I'm nursing. And that finding that happy medium that was like this, this messy middle of like, it's not also, it's not all formula, but it's not all breastfeeding was such a freaking game changer in my overall happiness. And I was still able to nurse chance for a year, but I also had that freedom of not feeling so guilty, giving him a bottle when I went here to do this event or whatever, like there was just, I had more support because I was willing to be more flexible. And I know that looks different for everyone, but that can be such a freeing experience with getting outside of that all or nothing baby feeding world. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't know that that exists. Like a lot of people think you have to do all breast milk or all formula. And there's that's no- what I believed before. I, I honestly didn't know how to go about that. And I like, my pediatrician was like, well, just give him a couple ounces when he wakes up the first time in the middle of the night. And I was like, cool. That gives me a longer stretch. Jared's involved in it's only a little bit. So I helped like my own, like weird mom guilt of, of giving formula. Cause it's like, well, it's just a little bit and the rest of like 90% of the time it's me nursing. And so there's just so much more grace there when we have that as an option. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can combination feed, whether it's something like that worked for you and your situation that you were doing it at night or somebody that has a low milk supply for whatever reason it is, Mm -hmm. it can look so many different ways. You can, like you did like nurse during the day and give some formula at night. You can nurse when the baby wakes up, give formula all day, and then nurse again when you put the baby to bed and nurse at night. Like there's a million different ways you can make it look either by you're forced into it because your supply is low. And maybe that's not initially what you wanted to do or by choice, because that is what you wanted to do. The most important thing is that you're informed about it. And you know, like for some people, if they give formula in the middle of the night and they don't wake up and pump or nurse, their supply will drop drastically. And people don't know that that happened. And then they're like, oh, well, I didn't know that that was going to affect my supply in the daytime. And some people it will, some people it won't affect their supply in the daytime at all. So it's all about being like informed and supported in your decisions and making sure that you're kind of knowing what's going to happen and that you're getting support from all the different people, like your partner and whoever else might be helping you care for the baby. Right. Absolutely. Gosh, that's, that's so important is the the informed thing. And you just be like paying attention to your body's tendencies and your baby's tendencies, because we could talk all day, but your unique experience is going to dictate what is best and right for you. Um, and I, yeah, I just love what you said about all of that. So 
when we start giving our babies solid foods, how does that impact our nursing relationship or does it? How much you're giving. Sometimes we give too much in the beginning. So it's recommended that you start around six months and that baby should be doing things like sitting up and able to hold their own head, things like that. If somebody's recommending that your baby has low weight gain and you start feeding them food at like two or three months, then you should probably look around and see if there's another opinion that you could get about that because six months is the recommendation. And in the beginning, it's just very, very small amounts. So this whole feeding solids thing is another like very divisive camp, like baby led weaning versus purees. And that doesn't need to be like that either. You can do a mix of like regular, real, like grown up foods and purees. But in the beginning, it's just like one quote meal a day, which isn't even, it's not like a full meal. And then as they get to like seven, eight months, nine months, they're usually doing two small meals a day. And then as they're nearing one year, they're usually doing three. I recommend that people just keep feeding solids kind of on a schedule. Like, oh, we do ours, our one feed at breakfast time, or we do our one feed at dinner time, but then continue to nurse like you were. Those calories that the baby's getting from the solid foods should be in addition to breast milk or formula, not replacing breast milk or formula. As the baby gets closer to a year, sometimes they start taking less breast milk, but it still remains, or formula, it still remains the main source of their nutrition and the foods are just a complement to it. Got it. That makes sense. So let's, um, let's talk about weaning because I know that's also can be a really hard thing. It may happen really early on. It may happen years later. What can that process look like? The best way to go about it is slowly, unless there's some kind of medical emergency or something that's happened and you have to wean very quickly. So some people wean under a year by choice or they're forced into it, or they've decided like, this is just best for me, even though I wanted to keep going, but for my mental health, like I need to stop. Right. There's, there's never a time that you have to wean and there's never like a time that's too long or too short. Like any amount of breastfeeding that you do is great. And it's completely up to you and your baby. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that breast milk only be what babies get until they're six months. And then that can continue like up to two years of age or beyond the world health organization recommends for breastfeeding for two years or beyond. So it looks different for everybody. I think now in the U S a lot of people are setting one year kind of as their goal, Mm -hmm. but there's never a time. It's not like something magical happens on the first birthday. And then you're like, okay, now we have to be done. Like there's never like a hard cutoff that you have to do. When you're at that one year mark, when breast milk or formula is not the primary source of nutrition and it's starting to complement the foods that the baby's getting, you have to make sure that the nursing relationship is mutually beneficial for both of you. So if your baby's obsessed with nursing and they want to do it a thousand times a day and they're 18 months old and you're like, I just got to be done with this and it's not working for you, then you can totally stop. (laughs) It's, it just looks different for everybody. So gradual is best. I usually recommend doing one feed at a time, like one feed. And then the next week, take out another one. I usually recommend starting with the feed that the baby likes like the least. And in these instances, I'm talking about when baby's like over a year and kind of more of a top, you can kind of know like, okay, in the morning, they don't love nursing that much. They kind of just go and play. So I think we'll cut off that one. And then you can keep one feed or two feeds or however many you want for as long as you want. If you're weaning a smaller baby and then the formula is going to become their primary source of nutrition when you're done, 
I would introduce the formula before you stop completely breastfeeding. So you can know, okay, baby seems to tolerate this formula. Well, we have our bottle feeding technique down really well. And all of those things are happening. Yeah, that makes sense. And then to kind of tie this back to the conversation we had around calories and foods and now in terms of weaning. So when a mom is not just exercising, but maybe like wanting to increase the intensity of her exercise, or maybe wants to do a competition of some kind, CrossFit or a race or something like that, how can we like navigate, I guess, the the relationship between still wanting to breastfeed, but also increasing the intensity or the duration of our exercise? So you can totally exercise as much as you want. If anybody tells you like, oh, you can't exercise. It's going to be detrimental for your supply. Get another opinion. Like we talked about before, it could be detrimental if you're going into a calorie deficit, but there aren't any known harmful effects from exercising, even like a max intensity exercising and breastfeeding. So it doesn't change the prolactin levels, like the milk making hormone that's not changed with max exercise. There was a study that found, um, an increase in lactic acid in the breast milk after max intensity exercise. So if you exercise every day, but you're never at a max intensity, you're probably not changing anything with your breast milk. If you are entering a competition or running a marathon or doing something that is a max intensity, you might have that, but that doesn't have any harmful effects on the baby. One study found that the baby seemed to be affected by the taste of it, but then it wasn't clear. Well, was it really the taste of the milk or was it because the mom was really sweaty or was it because they were being fed another way? Like they were being fed with like a medicine dropper. And so the baby were like, what the, what is this? It was kind of hard to determine, like, was that from the milk or was that from other factors? It was not clear. So as of now, what we know is that exercise does not have a negative effect on your supply or change the components of your supply. And if it does change the components, it's for a short period of time and it's not harmful to the baby. Right. So this really is the focus then if nursing and exercising and figuring out the right ratio of calories, I think it really does just kind of come down to having adequate calories that support your body's performance and the performance of nursing a baby. So that is where I always refer to a registered dietitian to help figure out like, what is this person's baseline? Okay, now she's nursing. Okay, and now she's training this way with this many calories burned-ish per day. How is this impacting metabolism when we add nursing on top of that? And also potentially, you know, if she's having symptoms and things like that, we're working with a whole new body and physiology right now. So if you are somebody who really prioritizes exercise, wants to increase intensity and wants to maintain the breastfeeding relationship you currently have, then please know that that conversation is very much around nutrition, hydration, and calories. And I would really refer you to working with both a lactation consultant and and a registered dietitian to know like your unique needs. Because we can say, well, just add 500 calories a day, but like, uh, maybe. (laughs) Right, right. I cannot agree more. And always like a team approach for everything is always the answer. And if like reading stuff online and like, well, I'm not really sure. Like, well, I don't know to increase my supply. Do I need to do this? Or does exercising change this? Or even little things like, oh, this this bra is really uncomfortable. Or a lactation consultant might have a good idea for you for what to do in those situations. And a dietitian is going to tell you exactly, it will give you more direction. Right. Right. Because a lot of it will just be like, well, finding out what is your baseline and then to maintain that baseline, 
you can still even like lose weight when we're adding in exercise or we're, we're nursing. If you're maintaining a certain caloric baseline too, because now we're adding in other variables, all of those things can be manipulated where you are right now is not forever, but just keeping your body healthy and, and truly from the inside out, we can shift our focus around that instead of this desperation to find what was normal and focus on what is your current normal and moving towards a new normal, that amount of grace makes it a better experience for everyone involved. (laughs) And I think the benefits of exercise as not even for the body, but for like your mind Mm -hmm. and feeling like, like, I remember going for a run the first few times, like after I gave birth, like not right after, like later, (laughs) um, (laughs) like, Oh, I like kind of feel like myself, like exercising if, even if you're not one of those like high competition, high intensity people, even if exercise to you is just like walking around the block or like doing yoga or something, the benefits of that for your mind are so beneficial. So if you're afraid of like the calories and the breastfeeding and all of those sorts of things, you can totally work with people to help you figure out a way to do it that feels good and right for you. So you're taking care of your body too and your brain. Imagine that. So really like that whole picture of like supporting the holistic experience, not just one aspect of the experience. So Jess, thanks so much for being with us today. And if you all have any questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? My website is jessicamckeelactation.com. And then my Instagram is jess.withlactationlink. And you can find me there. Yeah, and we'll link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise. I really, really value it. And I know this is a very super helpful episode for so many people out there. So thank you. Thanks, Bree. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.